Well, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Uh, my name is Novella Ford. I am the curator of the 154 forums for this year's uh, 154 Contemporary African Art Fair. I'm pleased that it's here in Harlem. I love that I can walk to the fair, frankly. Yeah. Um, but they're also drawing on really the best of what I get to do in my day job, if you will, at the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture, where I direct poet programs and exhibitions. Um, the Schomburg Center is dedicated to the collection, preservation, and interpretation of global black experiences. And we do that through being a public archive and also activating the archive and inviting the public into the space through public programs and exhibitions. Um, and the archives also includes art, right? And so I appreciate that we get to have this conversation today because there are ways in which people may not think about the archives and art telling history. And when I was a fundraiser, I used the Jacob Lawrence exhibition that was at MoMA at the time to tell the history of the New York Urban League because those two things really were about migration, the migration series that was at MoMA. So I'm excited to revisit Jacob Lawrence, who was such a key figure here um, in Harlem uh, in terms of his craft, in terms of his history, in terms of his engagement uh, with the community. So that's just a little bit um, on the background. We have two incredible speakers. We wish that there was a third of, unfortunately, COVID reared its head. So we know that this will be a great conversation that really leads, um, still leans into our thoughts around interlocking histories because we're talking about Jacob Lawrence and interacting with his peers uh, on the continent and really finding ways to connect and understand cross-culturally, excuse me. <coughs> Thank you. Um, so I'll introduce you and I'll just say a very little bit about each person because really we'll get to hear more about who they are in their own work through this conversation. Um, here we have Kimberly Gant, PhD, who's the co-curator of Black Orpheus, Jacob Lawrence, and the Mabari Club. And that's the exhibition that we'll see some images of um, and use as a jumping off point for this conversation about interlocking histories. And our moderator is Nayama. Sophia, <laughs> Sandy, you don't know how long it has taken us um, <laughs> to get to this point. Uh, Sandy, who is a curator and an educator and a musician and an artist, and an artist, and I love <laughs> being able to say that out loud, who currently has an exhibition um, on view in New Jersey at Project Empty Space. for Empty Spaces. So I highly recommend going to see um, that work. And if you haven't been over to one, by four, there might be a little bit of time after this conversation to do so, but I am going to turn it over into the able hands of our moderator who will bring us through the rest of this conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and, and again, uh, Novella has been really generous in terms of obviously asking me to participate, but also, you know, when we learned that Perrin couldn't participate today, she kind of was like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, no, what do you want to do? <laughs> um, so thank you for that. I really appreciate that. That's really kind. Um, so I'm so grateful and excited to be in conversation with you, Kimberly. Hey. It's like very exciting. I feel like we, we were kind of talking before. It's like we know, we know each other. I've seen things you've done. You've seen stuff I've done. But now we're finally doing something together. Join them. Joining it yes. together. <laughs> it's lovely. Um, so, you know, I did send you a few questions ahead of time to sort yeah. of help you think about 
how we would sort of meander through all of this. Yep. Um, so some of that will happen, and I feel like depending on what you say, some of that might not happen. Um, <laughs> and so let's kind of just get into it. Yeah. So uh, originally, just for you all's context, the conversation was supposed to be Kimberly um, and Perrin Lathrop, who is a co-curator of another exhibition that is opening Actually, both shows open on <laughs> same the same day, day <laughs> which I love, actually. Um, so Perrin is working on uh, African modernisms at, oh, well, it will begin at the Fisk University Galleries. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, you are working on Black Orpheus, which will open at the Chrysler Museum. And so I just want to wonder about the inflection point that created this path for you. Yeah. So I came, I mean, I think we, we know who Jacob Lawrence is, yes. but I think there's also a way in which, and we kind of know this for a lot of artists, um, especially I think that are deceased, the way in which their, their narratives and their stories are presented to the world can be very focused, they can be very narrow. And so I was working at the um, Newark Museum in Newark, New Jersey at the time, uh, I was a fellow there, and looking through their collection and kind of looking through Jacob Lawrence's um, history, and, and at the time I was already, I was working on my dissertation um, looking at Lagos, Nigeria, and kind of its evolution visually over, like, since 1960 when it had been um, kind of when, during the independence and all that. So that time period was kind of already in my head. Mm -hmm. And so I remember looking through um, Lawrence's catalog resume, who I still think to this point is the only black, uh, black person that has a catalog resume. Um, so there in the catalog resume, there is a very, like, they have a whole kind of timeline, and they briefly mention... Um, Lawrence in Nigeria and it like it very quickly I was like what like I just kind of stopped and was going what so like just like going through the pages and kind of reading and then kind of got into this it's like one of these ideas that I was like I have to come back to this I have to really think about this and it kind of just stayed there and, and I started sorry when was this so this was been um, 2015 mm. so it's 2015 and started to just to kind of actually just do some very superficial research, like why was he there? What would happen? What was going on? And found uh, Terry Dintenfoss Gallery, which is here in New York. Mm -hmm. Or it doesn't, it's not, the gallery doesn't really exist anymore, but that was his gallerist when he was um, in Nigeria and had been kind of prior to and kind of afterwards for several years, three decades. And so got in touch with Terry Dintenfoss's son, Andrew Dintenfoss, who was like, yeah, come, like, we've got, speaking of the archive, like, we've got original letters from, like, Jacob Lawrence. Or he was like, we got original letters from Uncle Jake. I was like, what? <laughs> he was just like, yeah, just like, I mean, and just, I mean, just pulled these things out. Um, you know, letters, images, um, they have one of the, Niger and so in doing that, fi find out, basically, the, the, the kind of overarching narrative was um, Lawrence uh, was invited to have an exhibition in Lagos, Nigeria in 1962 through the American Society of African Culture. And I want to give a big, big shout out to the Schomburg Library. Um, it took me, because the, well, I was recently just before I left and then while I was during the pandemic, mm. trying to email anyone and every, all the librarians is like, how do I get some access to these archives? Can you screen? Do you have, you know, what do you have digitized? What do you have in the, um, uh, what's the, mi microfiches, Microfiche, like all yeah. of that. Um, and so they actually do have the AMSEC um, archives. Actually, and can we? Uh, oh, yeah, if you want to, sorry. So this is actually just, just so an image of Lawrence while he's in Nigeria, and this is the second time. So he went twice. So the first time he went, 
um, was in 62, was 10 days. And he had an exhibition at AMSAC, had, was, was an organization sort of here in, in the Harlem area in New York, the American Society of African Culture. And it was a kind of art salon, creative, just kind of group of individuals, teachers, writers, academics, scientists, just kind of a collective knowledge base wanting to, um, the, the kind of the mission was to educate themselves on kind of African history, cultural legacy, to uplift the African American peoples, to create a connection, and to also connect African American culture to brothers and sisters on the continent. So it was supposed to be kind of an exchange. So they would host um, artist talks, salons. So even before Lawrence went there, he was going to, and if you go, I think, to the next one, um, you will see, oh, one, sorry, one more, I think. Yes, yeah. yeah, so this is a um, really great, um, so this is from the newsletter. So you see that they had brought um, Ben Nwowu, who is an incredible Nigerian artist, um, who opened the opening of the, of the center. They opened a center in Lagos in, in 1960 and had a huge festival. Um, and then even before that, they were bringing different artists. Um, so you see, or like Ibrahim El Salahi, who's a really important uh, Ethiopian modernist painter, like he was brought to do like art salon. So he's meeting like the writers and the talk and all these people. So he already has it in his head. So he gets invited to have an exhibition he brings some of his migration series, war series, builder series. They have an exhibition in Lagos. Now at the same time, simultaneously to all this, there was already an existing kind of arts community in Nigeria. And so that's where, if you go back, sorry, one. Um, so then we've got the Ambari Club, Ibadan. So at the time during Nigeria's independence and right before, you had kind of Ibadan, even though it, it, at the time it was kind of considered more of like the academic kind of center in Nigeria. Lagos was growing, but Ibadan was still bigger at the time, right, bef right before. So um, in 1957, so these are kind of the three tenets of my exhibition. So Black Orpheus comes, the Mbari Club comes out of Black Orpheus. So Black Orpheus started as a arts and literary magazine that was really promoting African literature. Um, globally. So um, it started in 1957 mm -hmm. and was kind of came out of the first World Congress of Negro Artists and Writers that happened in 1956 at the Sorbonne. And so then you had a group that was kind of uh, the beginning of AMSEC, which was SAC, which is Society African Culture. And so that was um, uh, uh, coming out of the, um, ah, now I'm blanking on, um, the, the, the journal will come, uh, come to me in a second, but so there was, so basically you had a kind of this strong kind of connection and started through kind of the Francophone community. And then a lot of the Americans were like, oh, we would love to participate and kind of have an American component. And so that's how you had AMSEC, you had SAC, then, and then Lawrence is involved and then goes to Nigeria, 10 days. Then I found original letters, him talking to his gallery, like, I wanna go back. It was amazing, um, but he couldn't get state funding. Mm. So he and his wife, Gwendolyn Knight, an, an amazing artist in her own right, um, who, as we, many, as we kind of know, got uh, overshadowed by mm -hmm. Lawrence. Um, you, we can debate whether or not she approved that or not, but they sold their apartment in Brooklyn mm. and self-funded themselves and spent eight months in Nigeria in 1964. Mm. They couldn't get State Department funding, and he had been, especially because he had been considered, for, he had an FBI file that had been started in the 50s because he was considered an, uh, a communist sympathizer. <laughs> so um, he wasn't the only one. So, his, so Gwendolyn, <laughs> who through all this research I found out, had been originally born in Barbados, 
and they wouldn't give her a passport. She went, because Nigeria had been a formerly British colony, she went and, and got her dual citizenship and got a British passport, which enabled her to get him a British passport to go to Nigeria without it, so they could circumvent the State mm -hmm. Department. We should talk about that. Yeah. Um, because I think, you know, for me, looking at both this exhibition and the other, that unfortunately we're not able to talk about it um, more in detail, I think this moment, it is the independence moment, right? Yes, exactly. Um, and then in the context of the Caribbean in particular, you have so much of just this very thing because all of those are still uh, colonies at the time. Mm -hmm, right. But then uh, you have a period in the early part of the 60s and kind of into the 70s where there's like Caribbean people who are lawyers working like in the government in West mm -hmm. Africa. Mm -hmm. And even today, like if I had a Trinidad passport, I wouldn't have to get a visa to go to Ghana, to go right. to Senegal, to all of these places. And it's this really incredible thing that like we are just not cognizant of. Yeah. I mean, I think the whole kind of, you know, that Pan-African period, like this is a perfect example of that where mm -hmm. you had, you know, in Ghana and Nigeria, um, I mean, they were, you know, the Black Orpheus was presenting first English translations of um, Leopold Senghor's poetry. You know, they were bringing in artists from Cuba and like doing English translations of them. So there really was this, and, and Negritude was like a very big kind of linking force in many Absolutely. ways as well. So it was, to your point, people were, the, 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 though there were definitely national and political borders, the idea of community, at uh, this Pan-African community, this Pan-African connection enabled, and, uh, and I think a lot of this also happened because a lot of the political leaders, in, especially in Nigeria and, um, and uh, Ghana specifically, did graduate, uh, did, did um, their, um, college education in the United yeah. States at HBCU. At Howard. So like they already, you know, Lincoln University, Howard yeah. University, Fisk, I mean like, so they're mm -hmm. all, so at that moment, they're all talking to each other as college students right. anyway. And also, so they're I mean, in yeah. Paris at the Sorbonne, you have Amy Césaire, you have all of these other people. Right. Mm -hmm. It's a moment, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I'm so, like I said, I said this to you earlier, but I was like, I'm so happy that everybody else is like, <laughs> Finally talking about this because yeah. it's so important because I think we have this sort of like misunderstanding that what's happening right now is new and it's not. No. Yeah. Right? Exactly. This is like a continuum of a conversation that started a very long time ago. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I th yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, it's fine. Just, and I think, just to your, to your point, the generations of it are just kind of relearning it because there's so many dates from this there's so many moments from this research that I've been that I've been doing for this exhibition that I had kind of knew very superficially, like mm -hmm. very kind of like I had heard of it, but then you're reading there, I'm like, and I'm still trying to get um, the like transcriptions from the First World Negro um, Congress mm -hmm. because it's fascinating because even within this community, there's a lot of div divisions along either kind of political cultural lines, like you did have there was a lot of talk about the African-American delegation that got sent, and they get a lot of criticism. Um, uh, and so it was really interesting kind of just like starting to kind of know who's saying what, why they're saying it, um, and kind of how both connections and divisions were kind of really happening. But at the same time, again, like you said, it was, all, it was happening. Like, we, you know, 
so we at least need to kind of know those histories mm-hmm. to actually see how it relates to what's happening right now. I think. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Which brings me to my next question. Thank okay. you very much. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, of course, I mean, I was going to sort of amend this question, but I won't. Um, both this project and, of course, um, the African Modernism Project, you are doing this in a moment where we are sort of all reflecting and um, organizing, frankly, right? Mm -hmm. Self-organizing at that. Um, To these conversations about decolonization, freedom, black sovereignty, equity, all of these things. Um, So we're... Excuse me, sorry. Sorry. Um, so, you know, we are about 60 years on. Yeah. 70, actually, technically, depending Close, on yeah. how you look at it. Yeah. Because, um, of course, like, the first independence happens in 57, so we're, like, five years away from that being 70 years. Yeah. Um, what, what do you think are some of the gains that we are now solidifying in that? And also, like, why now? Because, you, you know, you said that uh, you sort of first came upon that, that link mm-hmm. in 2015. Um, I think I probably, I mean, the now, I think, was both, part of it, sadly, was just logistically. Mm. Um, it worked out in the sense of I, once you find when you're, like, curating shows, I know, Bella, and I don't know how you guys feel about this, you know, but basically, it's easier to kind of get a hook for a show if you can celebrate like a milestone moment like this artist's death this uh, his birthday like certain a certain moment this coincided um i was able to like i was like doing the dates i was like can i find a date um mm-hmm. with uh the 60th anniversary of when lawrence first went to nigeria so we're in 2022 ah. he went 62 sensible and then the <laughs> 65th anniversary of the first World Congress, or when Black Orpheus started. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, I got some, I got some big dates that I can just kind of utilize. Um, and, and so that was like one thing. I think, uh, I think a, a moment where this, why I thought this would be a really, why I just thought this project would be really interesting, again, to your point, this isn't, this is, n- this isn't new information. Like we're not doing, this is new information for a lot of people, right. I should say. But it's not, what's happening now isn't new. So I think, you know, what you're seeing more in some of the literature, and I definitely um, credit um, Professor um, Chico Kekegulo, who's uh, African art at Princeton, um, because his book on kind of this moment, this African modern, you know, African modern in Nigeria, but linking it was really crucial for me in terms of research for this project, and it just led to like a lot of just different rabbit holes. And I think people you know, sadly, like we're looking, we're sadly looking at the elders of artists who, you know, we want to, we want to serve them their flowers now, but it's been so late for so many. Mm-hmm. Um, this was an opportunity, I think, just to, just, you know, I mean, I, I think, especially as, you know, thinking about uh, art history and thinking about me working at museums, I'm really, African art especially gets divided into kind of like two kind of points. You think of like the traditional African art and like contemporary, but you also forget like there's, oh, sorry, but there's like centuries where, I mean, there's like decades where people have still been creating. So we need to look at these moments and and we think about all the political moments of of independence in Africa, but what about how it related to the cultural um, relationship? I don't think we spend enough time thinking about that. Um, And and I kind of want (laughs) to... Tons of motorcycles. It's uptown. We uptown, girl. I mean, all right. 
rough riding is a way of life. <laughs> okay, um, seriously though, uh, thinking about, going back to this, this Ibadan connection mm-hmm. um, and thinking about what's happening there, right? Mm-hmm. You have, um, I'm probably going to mispronounce, Uli Bayer, you mm-hmm. have Susan Wenger, yeah. who, you know, for those of you who don't know, Susan Wenger <coughs> becomes like, this interesting figure. So yeah. was she born in Austria? Yeah, she's she was Austrian. So they mm-hmm. moved to, to Nigeria in like mid fifties. Yeah, like fifties. And it becomes like a yeah. whole situation. They end up getting married, they get divorced, Susan stays. Um, and she actually is part of the reason why like the Oshun Grove is like no, like literally. Yeah, like she she like work. helped that was her <laughs> life's mi- yeah, they mean it's insane. Like mm-hmm. when you think about what's happening in this moment, it's a complete. It's like, wait, why don't we know any of this? <laughs> you know, it's like kind of ridiculous. And here we are in 2020. I don't know what year this is. I'm sorry. In 2022, <laughs> I should take a nap. In 2022, um, you know, where all of this work that she's done is now in question because of like, you know, I'm not gonna say where the people are from, but they are kind of endangering the grove mm. with pollution yeah. and like yeah. what have you. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, it just makes me think about just how easy it is to like undo right. so much stuff mm-hmm. that we've worked so hard for and that ultimately is, is like tremendously important to like understanding not just who we are, but like who we are in relationship to each other. Yeah. And I, th- I mean, you know, it's interesting about the, yeah, I mean, I, I th- you know, it is a cliche, but it's like, if we don't know our history, how, you know, we are doomed to repeat it and whether or not, you know, you agree with that history, at least just use it as an understanding of how we got to where we are and where we can go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, just to be a Shun Grove, you know, whether or not you are an ev- evangelical Christian, or not, you know, it wasn't just, I mean, Susan Wenger is the woman who gets the most credit for the Grove, but she definitely was, it was a whole community Mm -hmm. um, team that was working with her other big artists that she was paying and that were building all of this. And it's a sacred space, like whether or not people want to focus on the Yoruba religion, like it's still a cultural place that, you know, and and I think it's also, you know, whether or not you can think about um, whether, it it should be preserved or mm-hmm. not, you know. I think that, you know, how you know that's another I think conversation or an sure, interesting thing sure. to, to discuss. But um, you know, it's just it, it's I've never and I've never seen it myself. So, but I've like seen these incredible you know images of it, and I would like love to go and just because again, is it going to stay to you know in in, in another few decades? Um, but the the years and the people and the effort that went to kind of do this, but also just you know, the, com- the arts communities that were already kind of doing it, Nuli Bayer is an interesting figure as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's a, there's a great book that um, is called, uh, God, why am I losing everything today? Um, not pressure points. It'll, sorry, everything is gonna come to me in a second. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, uh, does, border, border, conf- border something, um, border transporter. And so there's like this fir- term that Uli Bayer got kind of um, used because he was like this German guy who um, was really interested in uh, Yorba r- literature and Yorba oral histories. And, you know, he had met Wenger and they had, he'd gotten a job to come to as a British kind of 
he'd got, he was in teaching there and got a job to come to Nigeria. But apparently, he couldn't go as a single man. He had to be married. Yeah. So he had met Wenger. She was like, and she, her work had been, um, uh, a lot of it had been destroyed because of World War II. So she was like, get me out of here. I'm out of, get me out of here of Europe. So like, they married to come. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, he's a, he, he was a personality from like all that I've heard, all that I've, people have talked about, you know, and not an uncontroversial figure because he's the one that, that kind of made a lot of these relationships happen. Right. Like in the exhibition, he's this kind of ghostly figure in yeah. the show. Like his, his work, nothing, he wasn't an artist, um, but he did a lot of these workshops and like facilitated a lot of these conversations. So he was, he was this facilitator of relationships. And he gets a lot of credit for that. And to a certain extent, yes, like it is very important what he did. He did bring all people together. But I think, again, like he gets a lot more credit than other people he was working with, which which is why I'm very happy he's his presence is there. But more just like it's quiet. Yeah, it's more just like he's in labels. (laughs) But like I I don't have any pictures of him up like or anything like that. Because I don't really want to kind of feed into more of that. I just, I just, I just, (laughs) I just would like to say blue. That's it. So yes, so I'm very happy about that. Um, So I would, I guess, I want to talk a little bit about. Actually, I have I have two things that I want to do, and I'm like trying to figure out what makes the most sense in terms mm-hmm. of keeping the, you know, conversation moving forward. Hmm. So I I actually I think I I figured it out. There we go. How did how did the Ambari Club originally form? Yes. So um, the Ambari Club basically formed in out of the artists that were and artists and writers that were kind of already writing and working with Black Orpheus. So the journal kind of starts, it starts circulating. They're, they're you know, like I said, um, mostly doing, they're doing like short stories, plays, um, artist critiques, art show reviews. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is like starting in 57, you know, some of Wooly Suinka's yeah. first plays That's were published in say. there. Yeah. Um, you know, he's critiquing, he became Shinoa the editor. Shinoa Achebe. Um, he actually came and, and uh, no, Uchio Keke came up with the name, who's an artist of Mbari. Um, which is an Igbo kind of word about meaning kind of like rebirth. Um, and so it really, so I think the journal kind of brought like all of these folks already together. And they eventually wanted to have a place where they could actually have like the salon, have like the place where they conversate these ideas that they're publishing, have a place that all people internationally could come and exhibit. So they um, basically kind of found a place in Ibadan, which you can see there. And so it had like a little restaurant. They showed exhibitions there. They, um, they had conversations. And so, um, and, and that's kind of, and, like, and, then, and then actually Mbari Club opened a, a, a Duro Ladipo who was a theater musician um, dramatist in Ashugbo, which is much more of a rural area, had, had come to Ibadan and actually he had a space there and kind of made a sister location there. Um, so it really, you know, so that's kind of how it kind of really formed is because all of these kind of group um, kind of already existing and it kind of morphed um, a little, you know, a little bit like who kind of came in, who didn't, who came in, in and out, but you just had a, you know, it was just like the spot <laughs> kind of for, you know, for, and that's, and so, you know, when Lawrence came, he was um, talking to artists, they, you know, um, 
it's unclear whether or not he like led workshops or just kind of participated, but he was kind of around these different artists, you know, and he was meeting them. His wife meets, you know, several people on the, on the second visit. And, you know, and so like not just him, but other artists are hosting workshops, especially in a Shugbo for, for people who like aren't trained. Um, Ibadan was much more of like an academic center. So you had universities of Ibadan was there. So there was a very strong connection with that. Um, in a Shugbo, it was more kind of just everyday people. It was right next to a marketplace. And so, pe so artists would like paint in the open and people would be like, what's this? How do we, how do we kind of get in there? Yep. Yeah. And so you see like Lawrence's images, like they're traveling and seeing the market. So like that's actually the theme that you see the most in the work. And so you'll see it in his tempera and gouache, which he was really known for, but I had never really seen crayon or, um, and I'd seen some pen and ink. So those are kind of the three main um, uh, pieces, but he just was enamored with these spaces and the letters he talks about like, me and Gwen had to learn how to haggle. We don't, ha we don't, that's very, un it's very uncomfortable. But it's like, but the market women, like these women, like these are the bosses, like they're the ones that you have to engage with. And so um, you could just, I feel like when you look at his images, you see that these spaces were just so dynamic to him, so exciting. I wonder if he was also seeing a relationship to the works mm -hmm. he's been, the, all the African-American life he'd been traveling and experiencing here and kind of almost seeing like both an origin but also a parallel, mm -hmm. you know, same and, like different and um, there. And he was enamored with the patterns and the colors and the shapes. You definitely see that. And he talks about that as well. Um, um, this image on the, I don't know. Market scene or street tambari. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen these images once Let's or twice. <laughs> left, right. That okay. far side, far side. Um, <laughs> street to Umbari. Okay. I mean, so I'm thinking about like having gone to Lagos like now probably like eight years ago for the first time. And I feel like everybody has like a market image, mm. right? Like that one market photo. And you got to do it fast because you'll like lose the people you're with, right? Mm -hmm. um, and for me, like I was trying to show you, hopefully I'll eventually get, find it. But this reminds me so much of, of that experience and like what it feels like mm -hmm. to be in the market. Yeah, I mean the Street Chim Bar specifically, this is the one image that if you know of the series at all, this is the one image that kind of gets reproduced the most. Mm -hmm. It's at the National Gallery of Art. Um, and uh, so I, I kind of try to do like a, a, um, a reading on the image and you know, really showing how he is still using, because at the time he's going, he's in his 40s. Like he's an immature artist. He's working like he has his style. Mm -hmm. um, but if you compare some of this to some of his earlier work, it's much brighter. It's mm -hmm. more kind of, there's more happening. There's more just like visual kind of chaos. You know something? Mm -hmm. um, so I've been thinking about this a lot. And two novellas, lovely sharing. I am an artist now. It's an interesting, and actually maybe to say now is like not really accurate. I've, I've been an artist in different ways, but right now I'm exploring a visual practice. Um, so one of the things I'm working on right now as like an art writer that has started to like make me think about some other things, there's a, um, there's gonna be a Jeffrey Holder book coming out. Oh, okay, nice. Um, so I'm contributing a chapter to that. And so we had a retreat a couple of months ago in March. Uh, and there was a paper that was presented on a, a mural that he had in Trinidad at the Hilton mm -hmm. there. And so the people who wrote this particular paper were sharing about like the process and how when he initially submitted his uh, 
proposal, mm -hmm. they said, oh, this doesn't look like Trinidad. And it was like, well, how so? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so they actually said that it looked like the antebellum South, which mm -hmm. is right. And so um, it's a really interesting conundrum there. And so I've been thinking about this idea of like, how do we know where a thing is if we don't know where the thing is? Mm -hmm. And so in this case, I feel like, you know, Nigeria, different places in Nigeria have like very specific light. Hmm, okay. And I think that's part of what we're seeing here. Okay. Um, so for example, like in Senegal, like the sun is just so bright that it almost makes everything look washed out. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's this like really specific thing that mm -hmm. you wouldn't even know if you hadn't been to a place, yeah. right? And especially because I think also in Nigeria, you have like the ground is like the, the exactly. mud is red. So like yes. you really see that here. Um, and <clears throat> But I, I know there was there was this quote that he that Lawrence had mentioned. He was like, "I don't when I'm painting you, I don't see you. I see color, light, pattern." Mm -hmm. And so I think very much you see that in his work. You know, he, this this is a time where he's just seeing all of these fabrics and the colors and the prints and like the you know the you know people carrying on their heads and mm -hmm. and also and, and I think you know if you've ever been to a market in West Africa they are freaking huge they're yeah. enormous and so what I kind of really love about this is that it's called Street Chimbari but he's also kind of also heightening the idea of the street because you can kind of almost see like an hourglass shape of the street where it kind of yeah. focuses in and like right in the kind of the center point and to me, he's like really trying to draw your eye to the back yes. of it to really emphasize like this is a long, big, enormous space. Mm -hmm. um, and and I also would kind of argue that if you look at a lot of uh, all the works in the series, none of them are especially like laudatory or celebratory or, the, or what you know quote unquote positive. Mm -hmm. Like you see here, like you still see like flies around the food and everything, and you still see and like he's he's both, I think very excited about what he's seeing, but also seeing the realities of what he's seeing, like the, the extreme kind of poverty in many ways that maybe he thought he saw here, kind of understood, but sees in a different way there. So it's funny, right? Looking at this, um, Cam, can you go forward? Forward, not back. Keep going. One more, two more, that's it. So at the end of this here, right? Um, that last paragraph, one of Mr. Lawrence's paintings entitled Fulton and Nostrum was part of a New York Whitney Museum show. And so I actually saw that painting in mm -hmm. Cleveland last year. Oh, really? Um, and I wish that like I had seen these ahead of time because I would have been able to like throw that in there. Mm -hmm. um, I actually have just like a, I have it here, but this is obviously not that helpful for everybody else in the room. <laughs> um, but looking at that, let me see, did I take a picture of the label properly? What year was, I mean, it's hard to know what year this was from. Do you remember offhand? This article would have been, I can um, Google it really fast. oh, this would have been 62. This is, because this is the first time, this is the, this is reporting on Lawrence's first show in Nigeria. Okay. Right, because it says two years ago. Oh yeah, sorry. So this is sorry. So this is after he goes back. You're right. Sorry. Yeah. So this is the second time there. So okay, I'm yeah. gonna look this up real fast. What year is this? Was was it? No. It would have been the later fifties, because that was when they were in Brooklyn. Yeah. So they were in Bed Stuy. Um, 
Okay, but yeah, so going back, let's let's go forward again to those market images, please. Thank you so much. Amazing. It made me think about that for some reason. Mm. Um, because if you've ever seen this painting, it's very much like, you know, people just going about their lives on a Saturday yeah. night in Brooklyn, yeah. you know? Um, there's, and it's, uh, I have like a couple of like images of the things in particular that, and actually I don't mind handing my phone to you so that you can see. Um, so that's that, and then you can scroll. I don't have any, you know, inappropriate <laughs> images, so you're safe. Um, <laughs> should be right, yeah. that right? <laughs> So I've kind of like pulled out some things there that I think are, that, that drew me. Um, and for me, that image and then looking at this image, I feel obviously the same person made them, right? Mm -hmm. But there's something, I think now that you've seen it, you see what I mean. Um, there's something about it that feels really kindred, just going to your point about you know, him recognizing something in being in that space. Right, yeah. I think, I mean, I think, and the colors are a bit brighter, well, definitely brighter in these than in I some mean, they would sort of have to be, right? right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, because he's showing, he's, I, I mean, I think the thing is, is with Lawrence, he shows what he sees, but I, but he doesn't show exactly what he's, like, it's still mm -hmm. his filter. Mm -hmm. um, but I, but he's not um, really kind of changing, and I, and I just think, his emphasis was on, you know, like I said, the, like the light, the color, the pattern, right. which made that area distinct, but again, to what we're both saying, still related to his kind of overarching oeuvre of like the African-American experience, like this epic of just the everyday life of him and his community. And so seeing, recognizing that here, but in a slightly different way. Yeah. These are just really extraordinary, honestly. Um, you all should come and see it. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, how yeah. I make it so that it comes close I up? Yeah, I would have, I would have loved to have it come to Brooklyn, but we already, it's a lot of work on paper. Sadly, yeah, so we only got three venues. Gotcha. Um, should we move forward to one more image here? This is just breathtaking, honestly. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, it's in a gun, kind of just another way he's looking at kind of the market, like the market women kind of selling. Um, and you know, selling apples, even though Io actually means sugar. In, I'm sorry, uh, salt mm. in um, Ibo. So we're not really, I'm not really clear about that. But what you'll also see throughout a lot of his series, if you kind of look at the top, you'll see kind of like the the figures that are um, kind of like floating. Mm -hmm. You know, the t kind of in that little like U shape almost at the top, and the kind of figurines are. Um, he, they come out in other works, like throughout, and and I've been really kind of thinking about like why that, <coughs> you know, if he was, you know, kind of have he seen altars and so kind of saw the figures like and kind of was thinking about that because because the three major themes he focuses on are the marketplaces, women, and um, kind of spirituality. So you'll like, sometimes see masquerades in in some of the images. So I think he was very much also really interested in that. And the way in which Yoruba, you know, kind of Yoruba religious practice and cultural practices were not separate from the ancestors. They very much affect our everyday existence. And so you have to honor them and make sure that they're fed and protected, mm -hmm. um, even if they're in the spiritual home where they came from, where we will all ultimately go back to, to then be reborn in the human realm. Um, so to, to the question of the salt thing, um, you know, when, people, when we say that someone is the salt of the earth, Mm -hmm. 
I'm imagining that that's part yeah, of that's an, yeah, what's that's being another way thought to, of. Yeah, think about but that. also mm. um, salt preserves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Definitely, and um, that was something that was very important. Yeah. And it also cleans, and it does all of these other things, like in a lot of different spiritual traditions, yeah. people bathe with salt, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like yeah. lime and salt and water, and these sorts of things. Um, so I'm sure that that's at least part of what's happening there mm -hmm. in that choice. Um, so one of the last questions, um, do you see parallels between this and what seems to be a similar moment of solidarity and consolidation of power in art and activism right now. And of course, um, I'm specifically thinking about correlations between the movement for black lives in the US and SARS in Nigeria, mm -hmm. um, protests in the diaspora around removing monuments, Martinique, South Africa, just off the top of my head, um, the development of residencies like Raw, Black Rock, Mare, where it's this like pointed direction toward diaspora mm -hmm. in, in you know, metropoles, but also like on the continent, in the Caribbean, yeah. you know, also something, some place like Alice Yard in Trinidad. Um, so I just wonder if you have some thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I think as, as we've kind of repeated, um, <clears throat> it's, an, it's, an, the, it's great to actually see the residencies, it's great to see the kind of the solidarity, and I think that it's, it's a new generation of ideas that people already had. I think we kind of all know like nothing is ever really new. Mm -hmm. um, it may be a variation on, a, on an idea that happened 40 years ago, but um, I think ultimately it's, a, you know, it's about trying to find relationships and community, um, whether or not we speak a different language or, or kind of religion or whatnot, and, and trying to find commonalities within the differences and using art in whatever, whether it's literary, whether it's oral, whether it's musical, whether it's visual, to kind of help create those linkages. Um, because those things impact us whether or not you know that language or not. Like you mm -hmm. feel that, mm -hmm. you know, you may feel that music or you like, you feel that image and you just really connect with it. So you wanna, you see, and you see the connection because we're still all human at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Doesn't, you know, like we still are families and people and we eat and, and, and we have these, you know, connections. So where can we just see that across the kind of borders and boundaries? Boundary, border operator, that was the name of it. <laughs> sorry. Border operator, everybody, that is the name of the book. It took me 15 minutes to remember that, but That's sorry, okay. I had to say that. <laughs> um, so I guess maybe we can open for questions or? Yeah, I did just wanna just, um, sure. though we couldn't really see images for parents show, um, I did want to kind of talk a little bit about how our shows are in relationship to each other. So, um, and because there is also kind of an interesting connection. So this exhibition also borrows from some of the Harmon Foundation collection um, <coughs> from Hampton University in, Nor in Hampton, uh, Hampton, Virginia. And the Harmon Foundation was a prize that was given to, initially it was a Harmon Prize that was offered to African-American artists in the early 20th century, and they would have kind of like black art annuals, um, and so artists would give prize about that. But also it was, uh, the kind of foundation kind of formed because the couple who kind of supported it and like the group that was a part of it um, bought, often bought works and often the winning work from the show the shows, and so it has created like this beautiful kind of collection of African-American art from the early and mid 20th centuries that then got, when the Harmon Foundation ended, I think in like 1965, 
of 6065, I can't remember the exact date, um, it's split between mostly Fisk University and Hampton University. And so Perrin's exhibition is from the Harmon Foundation's collection at Fisk. And so my show doesn't have the full, doesn't have all the, because the Harmon Foundation is very large, but um, it does have some from Hampton University. So you'll, so if you, and, and her show is actually being circulated through the American uh, Federation for the Arts, so it'll be going around the country as well. Um, so I, I see our shows as like kind of parallel kind of yeah. sisters, because she's looking at the African artists that were making work here in the United States, whereas I'm kind of looking at those on the continent. Yeah, so it, was, so it's kind of sister organization. I was so excited show. to bring it all together. Oh, sorry, was I, was I supposed to not say No, that? no, no, okay, no, no. I you. mean, <laughs> I was excited to bring you both together in conversation yeah. to explore these very parallels that you're talking about. So if you can't, if you don't get a chance to come to where my venue is, but you can get to go see the parents show, please definitely do that. Um, because Nashville. No, they're never in the same city. No, right? none. So um, I know, yeah, uh, Parent starts at Fisk University in Nashville. Mm -hmm. um, I think if you go to the AFA, it'll show kind of where the travel is. Mine opens at the Chrysler Museum in Norfolk, Virginia. Then it goes to New Orleans beginning of 2023. And then to Toledo in summer of 2023. Okay. <laughs> so oh, you got two options. <laughs> I mean, but who doesn't always want to go to NOLA personally? <laughs> always want to go to New Orleans. Okay, um, so does anyone have questions? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both very much. I really enjoyed this talk. I wish it could go on for a few more hours. <laughs> However, um, interested in what a catalog resume is, okay. and also when you were talking about Jacob Lawrence's archival resources, mm -hmm. where's his archive? And I think that's enough, just. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, the catalog resume is basically a volume that artists will have that tries to actually represent their entire practice. Um, and so he's got, so it's two, it's two volumes um, and you can find them at most libraries. Um, uh, I know Schomburg's got some. And, um, and so yeah, so, it's a, so it basically just gives his whole kind of biography, like timeline, and they try to bring the entire practice, like show images of like every work. Um, and so what's been interesting is because, so, so there was the Lawrence show that was at the Met that was looking at the American Struggle series, which is another series that he had done. And if you had seen the Times, I guess this was like last year, a like September. two, yeah, so there were like two, so there was a, I think it was like maybe like 25 pieces in the whole series, and there had been five for like decades that no one had found. And so over the course of the run of the show, two works got found that were just in private collections that kind of no one knew. Um, Lawrence's, most of his um, uh, resources are at the Archives of American Art in DC. Um, but as kind of my research is, has kind of really shown, and a lot of it is, is some of it is digitized, not, a, not all of it. Um, that was a big struggle <laughs> during the pandemic trying to get access. Um, but there's some, the, the Schomburg Library has some things, private collectors I have found, especially ones that he was connected to, they will wind up having things that you're just like, ah, why are they not, why does no one know? Or like, or why can you not put them in a place that people could actually get access to them? Um, so that can be very am amazing, but also frustrating at the same time. Um, I have so many questions, um, but I want to, uh, 
One, thank you for showing this work because I feel like with each show we get to see another aspect of Jacob yes. Lawrence and his work and his and how he was creating and, and what. And I love what you said about light, like being in a place and then knowing because I feel like American struggle was a totally different kind mm -hmm. of feeling. Yes. And then I'm looking at this work and I'm like, oh my good, like, you know, Is just when you person? thought you yeah. right. knew a style and could be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Suddenly, it's completely different than that. But I'm super interested in collectives and sort of these organizations of people that crop up in order to get the work done or to meet each other, right? So you've got the Ambari Club and then also ASMIC, is that? Yeah, AMSAC. AMSAC being created here. And I'm just curious about whether or not you think that those kinds of things are helpful and whether or not we should be doing more of that now, mm -hmm. and, and are we, for, for that matter? I mean, I think they can be very helpful. I think what's interesting with an AMSEC is it has a whole interesting history because it actually got found out, and I talk about this in my catalog, um, which to its detriment because it, it didn't, okay, so ultimately AMSEC was found out to be having received a large amount of funds from the Center for Cultural Freedom, which, if you've never heard of it, was the um, cultural arm of the CIA. Yeah. As uh, soon as you said that, I was like, yeah. oh, that's the CIA immediately. Yeah. Uh, in, the, in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And so, oh, in the 50s and 60s, really. And so, AMSEC um, shut down in 67 because there's like a big article that got published, like listing, like talking about the CCF and talking about all these organizations. And so, like, AMSEC and Ambari Club both got funded by them. But, in the, the reason for that was because from the um, organizations, from CCF standpoint, they were founded to combat socialist influence, like Russian communist influence. Um, so, so they're supposed to kind of promote like an American like democracy. But you could really argue that neither group um, did that in certain, w I mean, certain ways they did, certain ways they didn't. Um, because I don't know, there's, there's questions of whether or not, of who knew what CCF was, did they really know like who like who was funding them to fund other organizations? Um, and ultimately, I think they did incredible opportunities. I mean, like all these artists that they brought from the continent, all the people that they brought from the United States to the continent. Um, so I think that was very it facilitated a lot of interesting conversations. Now, the caveat to that is it presented it in a very American kind of like we know, like we're Americans we know a bit better than you. Like, we're gonna bring you all the books. We're gonna, I mean, and I, and, cause you read some of these articles, and so some of the ways in which they report, um, it, it does become very paternalistic and, you know, patri you know, but I think they still met a lot of interesting people there that they wouldn't have necessarily known and brought them to try and educate to a certain degree as well. Mm -hmm. um, and it just brought a lot of people from different kind of levels throughout the African-American community together. You know, it was, you had nurses and teachers and scientists and artists and writers, like all kind of coming together because they were excited about who they were bringing and, and what opportunities they could make um, between, between the pieces. Um, Taylor, do you have a, oh, sorry. Hold, I'm sorry, one second. Oh, go ahead. Um, I'm also thinking about, I don't know if this has come up in anything you saw around this, but also thinking about the Bandung Conference, which is kind of also happening at the same time. Yeah, that, um, 
So that I, oh God, it was so much that I read. Um, I know I read about it, but I think, I'm trying to remember if. Um, and maybe does anybody. I don't think it was a real, yeah, you, you, yeah. I should probably tell yeah. you. So um, <laughs> what country is this? Uh, I want to say it was Algeria. No. no. Asia somewhere. Oh, well, because well, there was like, there was a couple. That's yeah. why I can't remember. But the first one is like 57 or 58, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, um, okay, so what I'm talking about is basically sort of like conference that brings like all of the colonized people in the world together yeah. for the first time ever. Yeah. Um, and of course, like that ends up having some very specific implications in mm -hmm. terms of like what's happening in the world at that time and this kind of like anti-communist uh, thing that we see happening, especially as you're referring to um, what is it you call it? CCS? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and all of that funding and just the desire to like keep communism at bay, so to speak. But it's this really interesting moment because I think so much of what happens is mm -hmm. all like in this, this sovereignty and, and wanting to like establish that in all of these different places. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's just, there's a few books that I was, I mean, like, there, was, there was a lot of different conferences and conversations, like, happening between the 50s and the 60s, uh, trying to bring this kind of solidarity and um, movement, you know, across the, the global south. Um, so, that's it. Thank you. Okay. Uh, first of all, I just want to say a huge thank you um, for bringing this information to us, because there's so much that I learn and I'm like super inspired. Um, and even though I've known you for a minute, this is the first time that I've really heard you speak. Uh, Niyama. 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 I was like, I'm gonna get this wrong. <laughs> Niyama. I am Niyama. Niyama. Um, so actually this is a two point uh, a question because the, the, the picture that you showed us, what year is that from? Right, so <laughs> I was trying to look that up quickly. But I, I want to tell you that it is from the 50s, but the only problem with this is that, in theory, this, this should oh. be here. Ah, That's wait a minute, hold on. Okay, yeah, so a highly regarded example of uh, Lawrence's mature work, Fulton and Austrian, evokes the vibrant community near the eponymous intersection of in the Bedford-Stuyvesant neighborhood of Brooklyn, during one evening in the mid 60s. Mm. So it does not um, specify the year exactly, but. Okay, that's, yeah, that's interesting. I was trying to see oh, if wait. it was before no, or that's after. when it was acquired, sorry. Was it, if it was before or after this period? I'm pretty sure it was before. Okay, that's actually good, because what I wanted to know, right, like looking at this work and knowing the work, like, you know, like the migration series, the work that we know of Jacob Lawrence, um, I can't remember when, when exactly that was, but. It was the what? Forties. The forties, the migration years. Okay, even better. So how do you feel having kind of looked at this work? How do you feel this particular eight, nine, ten month period? Mm -hmm. Um how do you think it it changed the work from before and the work like his work afterwards? You know, I mean mm -hmm. here we're seeing even from the picture you showed us Naima. Nyama. 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 <laughs> um, from the picture that you showed us, um, the, the colors were a little bit more muted, yes. right? So 
and you know, you did mention that in these particular ones, and we can see it that they, they the colors become a little bit more vibrant. But um, but that migrant, the the migration series, which was like you said in the '40s, I mean, it it's vibrant in its own way, yeah. mm -hmm. but different. So mm -hmm. how do you feel like it, like after this, like after this period, the mid late '60s? How did his work um, change, if it even did? You know? Yeah, I mean, I think. Um, in certain series, you can see, because I think right after this, or no, it was actually right before this series, there was his kind of mask series, which also was very vibrant and very colorful and very graphic. Um, and so I think, what I, what I don't know is whether or not, I mean, I definitely think that in certain ways, Nigeria influenced him in that moment. And, but, I don't, but he was also an artist who was very, very comfortable, I think, in, in his style and what he was doing. But he would also maybe just, like, his palette didn't really change. It might have just been, um, he might have just added, he might, or the orientation of colors was yeah. kind of different. It wasn't also his saturation. Right, yeah. I mean, I think in earlier work you see there's, a less, there's kind of less people. It's more kind of simple shapes, um, more of a somber kind of muted tone. Um, but I think as the kind of 60s, like he just, he's also thinking about, you know, the civil rights era of the United States. So there's still already a lot, a lot of, like there's a lot of reds in certain works. So I don't necessarily, I, I think it's almost like a chicken and egg because I think you can see influence here. But I think afterwards his work still very continues to what he was doing. And so certain things still, certain series look more mute, look a little bit more muted, but they look more graphic. So I think he's still kind of thinking about how he's playing with like pattern. Um, and so I can't really answer your question definitively, but I, I feel like in immediacy, there's like, I'll see certain works, like he has a few works that are talking about like dreaming and you'll kind of see these kind of, am, kind of amphimorphous like figures kind of floating, which you see kind of in this series as well, but you could also see in the mass series. And so I think there's like a little period and, and he just kind of continues as he's just thinking about different, different series that he's doing. If I may, I also think, you know, to, to the point that I was trying to make about like the site itself being present in the palette and being present in the way that he's sort of thinking about how he's approaching line and color, I think that's, that's part of what's happening in each of these series that you've referenced actually. So he's also thinking about the place itself. Um, you know, site specificity is a thing. And maybe there wasn't necessarily the language for that at that time, but it's certainly, um, I mean, I see it like, you know, looking at that, I imagine like bed on a Saturday night in the 50s, that's exactly what that would have looked like. That's exactly what that would have felt like, right? Um, and you know, here again, the light is different. Like the mm -hmm. way the sun shines is really different. Yeah. Um, and I hope that we will all in the room be able to know that personally at some point. Um, and so it just, it looks different and it feels different. And so that's what we're seeing. Just in my mind thinking about that, there are some of his earlier series and looking at this and then looking at the picture that, that you showed us, um, uh, one of the things that I've noticed with him that's really interesting is his, uh, I, I don't know why, how I would call it, it's almost like, as a printmaker, I kind of see it almost like as a printmaking yeah. thing, mm -hmm. right? Looking yeah. at this, it feels yeah. like a print. It, it yeah. feels like a print, but also like, 
you see, uh, and, and I, I noticed that with this one, and in my mind I see this, uh, I see this in the works that I know of him, that I never see him layering colors, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. It's like where it's blue, it's blue. There's no, there's, you don't see green underneath it, you know, you don't see this like layering of colors, you know? And I wonder if this is something that, you know, he, obviously I'm sure there's so much intentionality, but uh, I wonder when that happened. Like, did he always do that? It was that always his thing? Did he do continue to do that till his, um, you know, his last series, his last mm -hmm. piece? I'm just curious, and it might be something I, I myself have to like go back and look at, but it, it's really got me curious as you're showing these works and, um, and then also yeah. looking at that particular work too, you know? Yeah. Something also about this work, because um, you know, I really almost thought it was a print before I spoke mm -hmm. to you yeah. about it, particularly the faces here. Yeah. But the other thing here, this is like more negative space than I've I ever seen Which is in yeah. a Jacob Lawrence work, ever. It's really interesting, and I'll just, because I know we have to, but you'll see some, of, you'll see a few of these that have a lot more negative space. Mm. So I'm really interested, so you know, and I wish I could talk to him, but I am mm. curious as to what, you know, some that have more negative space than don't, Yeah. Um, so. That's interesting. And I wonder what the thought process was around that. But all right, thank you all so much. <laughs> thank you so much, Kimberly Gantz and Niyama, Sophia, Sandy, for walking us through this conversation. It really would have been incredible to see the two exhibitions next to each other, just to even see what the African artists were creating yeah. at that particular time. Um, I was having a conversation with one of the gallerists um, at 154, and he was just talking about how, you know, it's beyond the figurative work for a lot of artists, and so what does that mean to be able to see that um, and also put that into the conversation um, in terms of the various kinds of art that was being created and modernism and, and so forth and so on. And so um, we hope to actually have another conversation at a later date, but thank you all for being such an attentive uh, audience, and... Have a good evening.